Hey everybody, John and Tony here. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good one today. Have you ever asked anyone to help you with something, and then when they actually show up to help you, you think, oh crap, I shouldn't have asked them. This is making it more complicated. I'm sure you have. We've all been in those moments of assistance regret. I don't know if that's a term. I'm making it a term. Assistance regret. I'm sure we've been on the other end of that where we've said, yeah, I'll come help you, and then immediately regretted offering our services. Well, that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today in this very sensitive, very heavy subject of human trafficking. I spoke with my friend Seth Johnson, and uh, one of the things we'll cover today is that a lot of people want to see justice take place in, in, in terms of saving children, saving them from these horrible lives, these horrible forms of slavery that they're under. But how do we actually help? And who is actually helping? What organizations uh, can we trust? Are they all doing what they said they're going to do? This is a really important episode, and I don't want to waste any more time getting into it. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Seth Johnson. Well, we're here in the lab with my friend from down the block, Sethy from the block. Is that what they call you? Was that your nickname in high school? No, it was Seth Beth dog breath was it really yeah yep yeah or stealth how because i wasn't very fast <laughs> <laughs> i thought it's because you're always lurking in the background oh there's stealth again hiding behind um where'd you get the set death or seth beth dog breath from you know because kids are stupid how i mean how far back is this like a high school nickname or oh no this was yeah i mean eight years old nine years old oh okay that yeah. makes a little more sense yeah so our friend beth that we have mm-hmm. yeah that I remind her of that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was called Beth when I was a kid too. Really? Just yeah, Seth Beth. Your dog breath. Hope you were a girl. <laughs> and like, we're know. gonna call you Beth, and we'll dress you in dresses for a while. It's actually Seth whatever. Thomas. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you're old enough to know about the grandfather clocks, mm-hmm. but my mom called my grandpa and said, "We're gonna name him Seth Thomas," and he said, "What are you naming him after a clock for?" <laughs> <laughs> Well, you are very punctual. Yeah. You got well, here right yeah, on time. Yeah. Uh, we have Seth here. He's uh, he's one of my great friends, also a neighbor from down the road. And I'm excited to have Seth on the show. We've been talking about this for a while. He is so important. His schedule is always packed. You can never get him, you know, when you want him. And he finally came over here. But Seth is always busy because he's always helping people. And his him and his wife, Marlo, are the people in the church you call when somebody asks you to do something and you don't want to do it. And you know you can guilt the Johnsons into doing no, no. Doesn't take a lot of guilt. Uh, you know if you could <laughs> come over and mow the lawn, they're like, all right, fine. No, but they're just some of the most giving people I know, and uh, I think that's why I want to say that um, to get Seth to like me, but also just to kick things off to let you know kind of the angle we're coming at this from. So Seth, you have spent years uh, involved in fighting human trafficking, and that's what this episode's going to be about. But before we get into some of the mechanics of it, the current day view of it, what's being done, um, different organizations. Let's talk a little bit about your story of how you first became involved in, in this um, anti-trafficking movement and what you did. Yeah, sure. Um, so it was in Portland, Oregon, and I'll spare the listeners the backstory, but I found myself in Portland. Uh, my wife and I were there with our three daughters. And About um, how long ago was this? uh, 2006, 2007. Okay. And, um, we had decided that we grew up, uh, or I grew up as a youth group kid 
and uh, was going to be a missionary and save the world. Oh, by the way, if you guys have listened to any of my episodes, might know my tragic past. Seth has pretty much the exact same one <laughs> down, to, down to a T yeah. uh, in terms of upbringing. That's why I help you so much, because <laughs> I could use that help as well. We commiserate, yeah. yeah. No, so uh, we had we had actually come to a place from life events that we had kind of both created a pact that we would not do any more ministry pretty much ever again. We were going to, I was on track to become a chiropractor and uh, we were just going to raise a family because mm-hmm. raising a family is hard enough. Why did you not want to do ministry anymore? You just kind of burned out from it. Um, yeah, there were a lot of things and um, I had to spare you the long story. Um, I had just kind of misplaced different priorities in my life and um, not been a man and taking care of my family like I should have. Um, and so I figured, okay, it's time. Now is the time to go back to school. And I think I was 27 ish, 28 mm-hmm. at the time. And, um, so we decided, okay, we'll go back to school. Won't do any ministry stuff, but we did get involved in this really cool church that was in uh, downtown Portland called the well. And we met in a, in an old church building that used to be the only African American church uh, back in the day when like the Portland Blazers started playing. Oh, cool. And um, it actually happened to be the only pulpit that Dr. King ever spoke at. Wow. Um, in Portland? Yeah, in Portland. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure he spoke in other pulpits, but uh, <laughs> in like, Portland, that far fact up. Check yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that was That's it. fake news. He carried it with him everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was a great, um, it was a great community that we were part of, um, but it was mostly... Uh, young parents and really poor Bible uh, school uh, students, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, my buddy CJ at the time um, was kind of in the role of, of being the pastor at the time, and he said, "Hey, we're going to have a missions meeting at our house. Um, if anybody's interested, please come out, take a look." And Marlo and I decided, you know what, we're not going to do anything, but we would like to just see what everybody else is up to. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they talked about a couple of different strategies with mission stuff and, uh, our church would open the the doors on Sunday after church and do a meal for anybody that was battling AIDS. Oh, wow. Um, cause yeah, it's not super well known, but people that are battling AIDS are paying so much money in medical bills that oftentimes they, they just don't have enough money to even make like a really good meal for themselves. Mm. And so it was and I loved the way that that, that group of, of Christians did it because it was just really come as you are, mm-hmm. hang out, have a good meal, right? be loved on, go home. Yeah. You know? Not watch this drama skit and then exactly. we'll pay you. <laughs> exactly. Not that I've been a part of those ministries before. <laughs> no miming. <laughs> no mimes to Carmen. Yeah. Not that I've ever done one to Ray Boltz. Um, <laughs> Which song? <laughs> watch the lamb. Um, daddy, daddy, <laughs> what are we seeing? So uh, so anyway, so we uh, don't understand. Sorry, at the very ahead. end of the meeting, uh, <laughs> CJ says, "Hey, um, there's another thing that we want to tackle as a as a group. Uh, if you haven't heard of Portland being in the news lately, they're they're pretty progressive up there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So early on, this issue of human trafficking had come to light, and CJ wanted to see, you know, what could we do about it, and asked if anybody would be willing to." research it and see what we as a church could do about it. And I found myself shooting my hand up to volunteer to do this, mm. which Marlo gave me this really like, I thought we agreed, you know, look. 
we're out of the game. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be super easy. I'm already at school cranking out all these PowerPoint projects and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll read up on it a couple of days, crank out a PowerPoint, be done. Yeah. That was not what happened. Uh, What happened was we went down the rabbit hole and learned so much about this issue. Um, There were there were nights that we would just not eat. Mm. Um, There were times where I would find myself getting ready for work in the shower and just start bawling my eyes out like a baby. Um, Because the issue is, uh, it's very it's 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 dark. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, I'm only 42, but I've been around and, and seen some stuff. I think it's one of, if not the darkest issue that our, our planet has to deal with today. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, um, we picked an organization to support and CJ graciously let me uh, have a Sunday to speak about the issue and to like get our church kind of engaged. It happened to be the Sunday right before Valentine's Day of that week, which was interesting because it's all, you know, Valentine's Day is about this love thing and kind of how it um, can get jaded in the American perspective. And uh, and here I am talking about sex trafficking. And the group that we were supporting at that time was uh, called Love 146. And, um, And later I found out that it was the pulpit that Dr. King spoke in. Hmm. And so for me to be able to give my first speech about freedom of, of people that are currently, I mean, yeah. we, we call it human trafficking. It, it has all the markings of slavery all over. It. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's slavery. So, yeah. um, so that was really cool. And then, uh, yeah, from there, um, Marlo and I created our own, 501c3 uh, we called it for their rescue I thought that was going to be a clever marketing uh, tr- uh, term and that we could tie it into everything that we do is for their rescue and um, that changed um, over time because we met a couple that were they were actually running a safe home in uh, Phnom Penh Cambodia and when we went there, um, we were really impressed at how many organizations we spoke to that had nothing but good stuff to say about, uh, at the time the organization was called Transitions. And uh, I did know enough about the nonprofit world to know that even though people are trying to help people through nonprofits, they're also very um, aggressive when it comes to their dollars because there's not a lot of them. And so what do you mean by aggressive? Well, what I mean is you're not going to find a lot of nonprofits talking good about other nonprofits. Ah, okay. Maybe they won't say anything bad about them, but they're definitely not going to build them up because yeah. I don't want to build it up to a potential donor that could potentially right. be donating to me. Yeah. Um, that coupled with the fact that my contact at Love 146, um, I had found out that the the rate of success for safe homes at that time around the globe was only 27%. And what does that mean? So uh, the term is recidivism. So when Mm -hmm. a girl comes into the home, goes through the program, but then is either re-trafficked or re-exploited, that's not a success. And you might, people that are listening might know that term from when I interviewed Jonathan Balcar, we talked about recidivism of people that end up back in prison right. to get out to the same concept of 
Uh, so success is when they don't end up back in where they started. Right, correct? right, yeah. right. So that was, and I had I had learned about that um, months before meeting my friends at Transitions and was blown away. So there's anybody that knows or starts diving into anti-trafficking world finds out about IJM pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, which is the International Justice Mission. Uh, Gary Haugen runs that. And they had come out um, and vetted the work that Transitions was doing. And um, through their research, they had given Transitions an 86% success rate. Whatever they were doing, I was intrigued because they were flipping it on its head mm. as opposed to what anybody else in the world was doing. Yeah. Um, or at least anybody that I knew of. And I was living and breathing this at the time. Yeah. So we just decided the world doesn't need one more group setting up another 501c3 trying to do their own thing. Yeah. So we pushed all our chips in and uh, joined our friends with Transitions. And uh, we were off to the races. Awesome. And, and you know, that, that in itself is a whole story. But um, I, I want to talk about... You, so you have a perspective on this stuff, I think, that people like I won't, won't have, I've, I've, I know about it. And, uh, you know, my church in Gainesville, that was one of the things we hit. And this was like 2007, you know, we hit it hard, like worked with organizations and groups. And, uh, but to be honest with you, it's not something that's easy for the common Christian or good person to dive into. Cause to your point, it's the worst thing in the world. It's so heavy. Uh, and so can you talk a little bit about what maybe our misperception of it is. I think people get the general idea of it, um, but maybe some of the other things that are associated with human trafficking, what comes with it. Um, you mentioned it's like modern day slavery. Um, you know, what are, when an organization goes in, they say we fight human trafficking. What, what all does that mean? What are they encompassing? Is it um, similar to like freeing the kids from the Lord's resistance army with Joseph Coney years, years back? What all encompasses a ministry that is, is it um, fighting human trafficking? Wow, that's that's a big question. So Joseph Kony and the LRA, or the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda, um, and actually up into Sudan, and then he kind of disappeared. Um, so that was actually, that's a term, child soldier slavery. Okay. So there's three main types of anti-traffic, or of human trafficking. Um, that's child soldier slavery, um, forced labor, and or... Um, sex trafficking and child soldier slavery is really like a geopolitical issue. So we don't really see a lot of child soldiers walking around in Jacksonville Mm -hmm. or anywhere in the United States, you know, um, labor slavery is more of a fair trade issue. Um, there's a lot of labor slavery that takes place. Um, actually here in America. Um, but, more commonly we think of India, um, with the caste system and, um, and that's where IJM does a lot of work in helping people get out from underneath these completely bogus contracts that have Mm -hmm. held generations of a family. In some parts of the world, is is it more accepted? Cause I feel like if, if there's a sex ring or something in in the United States, everyone's going to, you know, be on that pretty quickly. Is it more just kind of like people know about it overseas and they just don't do anything about it? Or is it outlawed? I think, um, well, in Haiti, um, so I went there right after the, the, the last massive earthquake. Um, 
So they have the Restavix is what they're called. Okay. Um, and so a lot of times a family can't, and so now you get into really complicated issues of um, birth control and um, population control and all of these things as, as far as whether it's right or wrong or indifferent. Um, right. But a family will have too many kids and they can't support them all. And so they will send one oftentimes to Port-au-Prince, which is the, the big city, um, and that child will then basically be an indentured servant. So the family will get a sum of money mm-hmm. for them, uh, which will help all the other kids. Um, and then, um, you know, and then there's nobody monitoring, you know, there's not a DCF department of children, family, right. Like that goes in and make sure that, you know, this little rest of it is safe. And, right. uh, and, and it's not, I mean, there's case after case after case after case of, you know, sexual abuse, um, the rest of it gets the scraps that's left for dinner. If there's anything left at all, yeah. uh, the rest of it wakes up early, does all the chores, stays up late, you know, doesn't go to school, um, all, all sorts of things. And, but in that society, um, it's not necessarily approved of, but it is accepted. I mean, mm-hmm. you just kind of know. Yeah, that's going on, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're not actively fighting against it. Right. It's just kind of a thing we live with. Because how do you fight against that, right? Um, It's similar to uh, the Emancipation Proclamation when Lincoln said, okay, everybody's free. Yeah. Free to do what? Right. Yeah. Become sharecroppers? Like, I mean, what are we supposed to do now? And because... and. They're also sending money back to their family, even if it's a small amount, correct? Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So Depends on family, if that family wants to honor that contract or yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. Know? Or they might benefit from that. So it's just this cycle that keeps going. So that so that's an example of um, you know, stuff that's associated with human trafficking. Um, what are some other examples or things that you would cover? So um the the issue that I spent the bulk of my time in was with the sex trafficking. Okay. And Re- sorry, real quick. Yes. So human trafficking encompasses all of these types yes. of issues. Yeah. That's a good distinction. So sex trafficking is specifically what it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in 2000, um, president Bush, uh, and I know right now is a politically charged time. Mm-hmm. So for whatever good or bad or indifferent, however you feel about him, the one good thing he did was set up the office to monitor and combat trafficking in persons. And every year they put out the tip report. Anybody can look it up, the trafficking in persons report. And they cover pretty much every country. Um, The office did come under fire after a couple of years because we weren't on that list. And yet there's trafficking that happens here in the United States all the time. Uh, We have been since been put on the list. Um, so that was really the first time that it kind of came into prevalence, you know, and Dateline NBC started doing some specials. And so my friends that they left everything in California, very successful life and moved to Cambodia. Mm -hmm. They initially thought they were going to help, uh, children that were being sold for sex, basically to pedophiles. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is interesting that you know, we're choosing this time to have uh, this conversation because in, in the media right now, what I've been noticing and, and what really kind of piqued my interest to have this talk with you is 
Epstein Island. Yeah. So the ne- I haven't watched it because I don't need to watch it. Yeah. And I've seen enough of that stuff for a lifetime. And then also, like, there was a thing with a furniture company. Like, I don't know if it was fake news or not, but oh, packing wait, children. Wait yeah. Yeah. Who knows if it's, you know. Right. Yeah. That's- the thing is, is what I've seen is that there's the emphasis on little kids, like pedophilia, which is an issue. Um, but the biggest percentage wise, the biggest issue is girls like 10 to 16 years old. Um, and that is where, so my friends, once they got to Cambodia, they realized we were coming with the idea to set up like an orphanage style aftercare system. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's actually needed is for these girls that are 13, 14, 15 years old that are getting rescued after a year or two of basically being forced, you know, 10 to 40 times a day, um, service clients. And I'll, I'll just keep it there because all of our listeners can imagine the darkness behind that. They needed help on a psychological level as well as how do we get them to a point where they can leave the program fairly quickly. And I, I say fairly quickly, 12 to 24 months, um, and enter life and, and live life after this. Yeah. Well, y- you know, it's, you, I think up until maybe the Bush era where you're talking about, people kind of thought, I think of this issue as kind of like prostitution of like, yes, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, hookers, like you look back on some of these jokes from like early nineties, eighty, like it was kind of the joke about the hookers still probably not even that long ago. Um, it was almost, it was like almost kind of laughable of like the people that would end up in this life. It was almost, we viewed yeah. it as, this is what they want to do or they are addicted to crack. And this is kind of like, yep. you know, but everything you're saying is, is not that at all. And it never was that. Uh, and my, my understanding and you tell me if this is right or wrong is that, you know, a lot of the issues is these girls age out of the orphanage and they have nowhere else to go and they get kind of picked up into the first person that'll like treat them or some of that is, is that an true? issue. Um, so first, to address prostitution, a lot of times you'll hear the the phrase, it's the oldest profession in the world. Yeah. Um, I like to say, and um, I learned this from my buddy, uh, it's the oldest form of exploitation in the world. Mm. And it, and it is, I mean, when I talked to the assistant to the DA in Portland, um, this was years ago now, um, they said the hardest case to prosecute is a trafficking case. Why is that? Because, if you're over 18, you can technically give consent, mm. right? And if you can give consent, then you have to prove that there wasn't consent. And where do you gather evidence? Right. Where do you, if, and if this, you know, lady, if she's over 18, now she's a lady, uh, if she is hooked on drugs, which is common, um, and does have, um, somebody in her life that is abusing her and forcing her to do all this, she's not very likely to confess to anybody. Right. Um, Cause the psychological issue. You're talking yes. About. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially if she's imported from another country uh, because there are oftentimes, I mean, I've, I've seen case after case where a girl will get freed, run to the nearest police official, the police officials on the take, they're corrupt. They just put her in the car and take oh her right gosh. back. Yeah. Um, so if she happens to make it into the States, the last person she's going to talk to is ICE or anybody resembling authority, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, can you talk a little bit about 
how does a rescue take place? What does a good rescue look like? What is a successful, you know, we talked about the success rate. What does a successful mission look like in terms of rescuing a girl and, you know, getting yeah, them Yeah, so that hits society? on a huge issue of, um, in America, we like to sensationalize a lot of things and we love this idea of justice, you know? Yeah. And we want to see the doors being kicked in, right? And the little girls all like wrapped up and taken right. out and herded into the car. Um, it's an actual rescue is extremely boring. Uh, an actual rescue, if it's done right, requires a lot of paperwork and a lot of research ahead of time. Hmm. And then you go to wherever you suspect this is happening and you stake it out. And it's not like the movies. Like you just have to sit there and wait and yeah. wait and wait. And then you finally get to serve the notice. And this is in almost every single country. So when we hear about organizations and I guess we'll get to this in a little bit, but the organizations that are, you know, we kick in the doors and we rescue people and da 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 and we do you know, we we're trained with the ex CIA and ex FBI and ex SEALs and yeah. you know, we just go in and kick butt and take names, you know, right. um, that's not the way it works. Yeah. It's just not. Um, and, uh, at, at the end of the day, the rescue is, is this very, it's like, it's like having a baby, right? Like there's all this buildup. Then you have the birth. That's the rescue. Like, <laughs> yeah, now you got to raise this thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, I'm saying that because, you know, you have your kid here and, and you know all about that. Yeah. Um, as she's toddling around, you're, you're <laughs> recognizing like all the terrors. Screaming yeah. in your ear yeah. in the middle of the night. You're like, I just helped you. This, um, you know. And that was, I mean, and that's a little bit of humor because you usually intertwine humor into your podcast. I listen to these all the time. Not this one. Thanks, yeah. Seth. <laughs> <laughs> you got a joke? Maybe we yeah, call for air. I was wondering. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, and, and so back to the kind of the seriousness is once you, you take a girl into a safe home, um, it's going to be about 90 days before she stops hating your guts. Wow. So she's got a lot on her shoulders. So she's got, if I ever get out of here, my pimp is probably going to kill me. Yeah. Um, and she's probably worried about her family members yeah. or anybody that's associated yeah. with her. Are they going to be hurt since I'm gone? Yeah. Like he knows where I'm at. Um, all of these things are going through her head and, and all, all she knows is that these people are kind of holding her. We call it compassionate custody mm -hmm. because what we found is almost to the girl at the end of the 90 days, you have to put her on suicide watch because finally on whatever psychological level and there's, um, therapists that are way smarter than I am, they can tell you all the details, but whatever happens there, the walls kind of come down mm. and she realizes I'm a 14 year old. Mm. So she's, they, they're often in a, an almost like a state of denial. Yeah. Uh, blocking so the, out. Yeah. So the brain actually, and I don't know all the technical terms. Uh. I have friends that do, but it, it, your brain actually is able to partition off the trauma. Yeah. And so that's why when you, you take a girl in, she doesn't, she doesn't want to have anything to do with you because mm -hmm. she's still in that survival mode. Yeah. It's, it's probably similar to maybe what some listeners have experienced or know somebody like they went to therapy and they were like, Oh, this stuff came out. I didn't even know it was back in right. my yeah. subconscious. So, um, the therapists that have worked with girls 
um, coming out of this have have said that the amount of post-traumatic stress disorder that they have, PTSD, um, is similar to a combat vet who has served three tours of duty. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know. Most of us just can't even fathom that. We don't even have no. a place to put that. Yeah. Um, so um, tra- trauma therapy is is vital to help these girls. Yeah. Um, so to rescue somebody, it sounds kind of like a, a lot of good-hearted people will be like, yeah, we want to fight this thing. Like you said, we sensationalize, want to kick in the door. It's similar to me uh, to when I hear people that want to be a realtor, and my mm-hmm. wife and I were two of those people. She actually did the classes. We're like, I could be a realtor. I could show these houses. Yeah, I'm personal. And then you get into it, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of paperwork, and there's a lot of like painful yeah. added stuff. Um, so what can you tell us, like, maybe what some of the good organizations and things you've seen done, like what um, was done, been done successfully and who has been doing this hard work for years at, and uh, maybe you can refer us to some organizations. Yeah. So I think what the group that I worked with transitions, what we saw happen was uh, my friend James, um, he had a conversation with his daughter one night and asking her what she wanted to do with her life. And she wanted to be an engineer or designer, or whatever. Um, whatever 14 year olds want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I wanted to be in the NBA. Yeah. That did not work uh, out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wanted to be fast. <laughs> um, so it, it occurred to him after she went to bed that in the safe home, they have sewing machines set up for the girls to learn how to sew. And that was going to be kind of the way that they would support themselves after yeah. they left. But he, he had this thought that why would I, ask my daughter what she wants to do with her life, but I wouldn't do the same for these girls. Hmm. And that turned into kind of our motto. Like what would we do for our own daughters? And if, if we can do that for our girls, then we can do that for these girls. And that is not easy. It's not cheap. Um, and it, and it's not a fast thing. Um, so he went in the next day and took out all the sewing machines, which kind of freaked the girls out when they got Mm. there to class and he sat everybody down and they took over an hour of him asking the same question, which is what do you want to do with your life? And, uh, these girls had never been asked that, which when James told me that I just started crying. Yeah. Probably didn't even know there was an option of anything. Yeah. I mean, and I have three daughters. Yeah. And I want them to be whatever they want to be, except like middle linebackers, right? Like, <laughs> right. I mean, literally. Or whatever. artists. <laughs> no, be an artist. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but once it finally occurred to them, oh, I have an option and somebody cares to hear what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Then it was all the things that teenage girls want to do. They want to be an astronaut or a pop star. Where or, were these girls from? This was in Phnom Penh. Okay. What, so, so James and Athena totally switched up everything that they were doing for these girls. And now we've got girls that have come out of there as interpreters, Mm. as computer programmers. Um, some of them just wanted to go back home and raise a family. Yeah. And that was fine too. Cause it became way less about what we thought that they should do with their lives and gave them the ownership and the power to take control and do 
yeah. whatever the heck they wanted to do with their lives. You it's know? amazing because it sounds like they blew the roof off what your expectations of their even capability was. Like, oh, you know, sewing, okay, this is how we can help you. And they're like, no, I want to dream bigger than yes. that. And, yeah. you know, that's beautiful. Yeah. So is Transitions still in operation now? No. So Transitions merged with a couple of other organizations. Um, and James uh, works for the governor's office in Tennessee with an early reading program, which oh, is really, great. really sweet. Um, and his skills are being put to really good use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the one thing though, that, that James did, um, was to travel around the globe and he did assessments for other organizations who were starting and wanted to know how do how do we do this stuff? You know, um, one of those organizations was a big one out of Australia that, um, set up a, uh, was trying to set up a home in, in Greece. Um, and then we worked in India and then in Portland, Oregon, we were trying to set up a safe home as well. Um, and what he noticed, and then what I also kind of confirmed in, in our, our chats was this crap happens the same way all yeah. over the globe. And I talked to a, um, an FBI representative that was in Oregon and he said the way human trafficking happens in, and especially in the, in the States is with throwaway kids. And I hate that that's even a term, mm -hmm. but it is, it's a term, um, kids that have just gotten lost in the mix. Right. And so he said a typical guy will come up and like, say at the food court, a couple of girls are sitting there. He'll pass by. Hey girl, your eyes are pretty. If the girl says, no, nah, get out of here. He, he just cruises on by. If she looks up at him and goes, oh, really? Oh, my gosh, thank you. Like, she just has no self-esteem, no self-respect, no grounding of any kind. Mm -hmm. He's in. Because then he can sit down, he mm -hmm. buys her a couple of things, starts to date her for a couple of weeks, maybe in a couple of months. Hey, let's take a trip. They take a trip. It ends up in a hotel room. And oftentimes, as horrific as this is, the tra the um, initiation is um, multiple men at one time because yeah. um, after that the level of trauma from that from going on a Break road trip with your boyfriend and then multiple men being in a, a hotel room yeah you, you don't want to call mom you don't want to oh call gosh. whoever your caretaker is you're ashamed and then you've probably you know taken some drugs and mm. you go from there um, so in the United States if you're a minor um, that's used in a commercial sex act, um, it's automatically deemed trafficking. And then back to what we were talking about with the, the prostitution stuff, mm -hmm. it's hard. If you're over 18, it's really hard to prove that it was prostitution or is trafficking. Um, now, the, the deal here in the United States is in Cambodia, the rules are a little bit looser, so we can do the compassionate custody portion. Here in the United States, we have groups like the ACLU and Human Rights Watch and all of these things that say these girls shouldn't, if they haven't committed a crime, then they shouldn't be held. Um, but our, our system is, is, is it's a broken system. Yeah. Um, we tried to set up, uh, we the state of Florida tried to set up three safe homes several years back. Uh, they lasted for about six months um, and then closed. So right now... The state of Florida has nowhere to put these girls. Hmm. So oftentimes they'll go to foster home. Um, 
the, the girls are highly sexualized. Obviously, they usually will go after whoever the dad is in the home. Um, so then the idea has been, well, we'll put them with single mother families and we'll put, put them there. So it's basically where can we just kind of put these girls so that they're out of the way? Yeah. Um, but they're not getting the level of trauma therapy that they need. Right. Um, nor the individualized attention. So we had, uh, taken efforts in Portland and we were getting really close and we just hit just too many roadblocks, um, to, to be able to help these girls. I did get a call one day, um, from a court appointed advocate of a girl who had been rescued, uh, asking me if she could bring her to our home. And I said, we, we don't have a home. We're, we're trying to, to build one here, but, and I got off the phone, man, and I just lost it. Um, so we found her some resources, um, but we checked in with the group that we had referred her to and she ran away within a week and Mm. nobody had heard from her again. Um, so here in the States, um, Wellspring Living up in Atlanta, Georgia, is is doing a really good job. Um, I was in this for so many years, and I researched so many different organizations. Um, I kind of have a little bit of a cynical view, or it, it can come across as cynical to people that just are kind of learning about it, and they have a heart for it, but they haven't seen kind of the underbelly to all of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm very much driven by the results of, of, of what's happening to the girl. Um, oftentimes we hear about awareness and prevention and, and then we're helping survivors of human trafficking. Um, but if you start to dig it, there's hardly anybody. Wellspring is one of, is one of the groups, but there's hardly anybody else that's actually helping domestic minors. Right. Okay. So in Portland, I was friends with a guy that helped run Catholic Charities. Catholic Charities had put aside a, a large portion of money to help um, non-domestic girls that were trafficked here. Um, a lot of girls from Thailand and Vietnam. So there was money to help those girls, but but Catholic Charities at that time had no money to help domestic girls because at that point in time it wasn't even viewed as a, as an actual issue here. Uh, when in fact the FBI says that there's, uh, up to 270,000 domestic girls, that's 270,000 of our girls that are being trafficked within our borders Hmm. every single year. Now you put 270,000 girls in with 340 million people and it's kind of an invisible crime. Yeah. Right. And there, and again, there's no, it, it as a business model, it's actually kind of genius because it's a reusable product, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that sounds pretty crass, but that's the thinking of these guys. They don't have to worry about drugs or guns uh, pr- procuring them or getting more if, after they sell them. They just have the one product that they just use over and over and over again. Um, so as far as good organizations, what I look for are groups that are very, very clear on their website about the demographic that they're working with and what they're doing to help them because there's a lot of organizations, unfortunately, even Christian organizations, which will push this emotional issue, put the name of Christ over it and aren't actually really doing anything at the end of the day. 
hmm. or they're doing something that's different, right? It's so, more like uh, you know a good-hearted person that wants to help. You think of right. like your four-year-old kid in the kitchen. Like it's it's really sweet that you want right. to be here help, helping mommy make dinner, making this more difficult yeah, than it is. Exactly, yeah. because they're they're really detracting from the groups who actually are right, doing the work. Right. Yeah. So if you're working with prostitutes, fantastic. That's important work. Somebody should be doing it and needs to be doing it. And we need more people doing that. That's not human trafficking, at least the way the law in the United States deems it. Right. Yeah. Um, If you're working with aged out orphans, call it that, but don't say that you're working with aged out orphans and you're now preventing human trafficking. Okay. That's kind of an insult to the aged out orphans. Like we're here to help you and, you're welcome because if we weren't here, you would surely be trafficked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those kids would be. You know, I get it. Yeah. Um, but it's not. Hey, I have this girl in front of me. That. For me, I met a girl on my first trip to Cambodia, that had just gotten into the home. Uh, two days before I got there. It was. The only way I can compare it is when you see a, a kitten that's born feral mm-hmm. and and you're trying to like reach out to it and its eyes are like freaking out and it wants to run. And then I saw her a year later. It was like a completely different human being. Wow. And I was talking to her at a campfire that we were having and she said, thank you for all the work that you do. And I just felt so... Um, undeserving of that appreciation even with all the work that I was doing it felt like just a drop in the bucket and like I would have done anything moved heaven and earth through this girl so as far as organizations are they actually helping minors who have actually been trafficked like it it seems pretty clear-cut but it gets pretty um the waters get pretty muddied yeah um with people that are well intent intending but they just aren't you know yeah, actually, we can uh, we can also put some of the names of the organizations that Seth recommends in the information on this podcast. Is there anything that Americans do that maybe even unknowingly contributes to sex trafficking, whether it's around the world? I know pornography is has been linked to increase in sex trafficking a lot of times. Um, in videos that people will view are actual sex sex slaves. Uh, is there anything like that that might, if you if it, the average listener is looking for a way. How do I help? Oh, that's a great place to start. Anything like that or anything we yeah, should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, of? I think that, so the Center for Disease Control said that to end trafficking, we have to um, raise the status of women and eliminate the entitlement of men. Mm, okay. And I, I love that. Well, that's easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> Super easy. Uh, Let's do yeah. it tonight. Hillary Clinton ran for president. I thought we <laughs> accomplished it. <laughs> yep. Kamala Harris. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, they beat it. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so I think anything there, there, there's a million different ways that you can raise the status of women, right? Looking at pornography, probably not one of those ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a whole scientific argument about what it does to your neural pathways that is just unhealthy in general. Um, but I mean, the the question I ask it comes back again to to the what we ask for what what would we do for our own girls? Yeah, right. And, um, and, and these girls are some, somebody's daughters, right? And, um, yeah, so I think 
the porn industry in in and of itself, um, it would be totally okay to be abolished tomorrow. Yeah. Like I think that's. Just I've totally never understood fine. how people like Hugh Hefner get a pass, and some of these people are like, oh, they were so. Gr-. I'm like, the how does this elevate women? And people could argue, I guess. Yeah. I don't get it though. I don't. I don't understand it. Yeah, we. I mean, that was something that we ran into in Portland. As progressive as they are, um, sometimes you get you, you, like outdo yourself, you know. Yeah. And uh, we actually did try to help tra- uh, trafficking victims who were over eighteen, and we got the pushback that this is their choice. Leave yeah. them alone. Yeah. And the science shows that a, a woman who is choo- quote air quotes choosing prostitution has been molested in the past. Oh, like, wow. The, you don't just wake up one day as a 25-year-old woman and go, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go sleep with 10 men today yeah. for money because it seems like, yeah, that seems like it'll be a good thing. Mm. You you just don't do that. You're a damaged human being mm. um, by the time you get there. Um, so, like I said, working with women who are in that life, extremely important. Like, yeah. we need... We need way more of it. Elevate, elevate um, status of women. I think that's great, and that I mean that that in itself is a another. We're just gonna have to do like eighteen podcasts, <laughs> and I, so hopefully some of them will be funnier than this one. <laughs> uh, well, I kind of want to circle back to Seth, your story um, that revolves around this, but on a personal level, you got really passionate about this in your late twenties, and uh, you know how do you not? How does this diving more into this not break your heart? not stir something in you and emotionally, and you were coming at it as a Christian, stirred by the Holy Spirit, moved. And let's walk through a little bit about your approach to it, because what you faced was kind of a bunch of unresponsive people, in a sense. Like, I think people were like, from what we've talked, they were like, that's great you're doing that, but, you know, I don't really care. Um, And they might care, but they didn't. But, and, and, you know, that's a whole story in itself of the, the fault of what we've missed, but... You know, I want to talk about where where you were then and where you are now, and how you view these these issues, and how you view your uh, ministry and the way you approach these things. Um, so, what when you started spreading this news, you've done your research, you're pushing um, transitions and the programs. What happened? What kind of receptions were you getting? Yeah, so the, it's varied. So there, there's one was okay. Tell me what I do. Tell me yeah. what I can do to get involved. That's a really really hard question to answer. Uh, and that was part of my job was try to figure out how to get people involved. Right. Um, you can't necessarily just walk into a safe home and start volunteering. Uh, it's not like a mission trip to Africa where you can just play with the kids and hang out and give them coloring books. And, um, there's, there's a, a, it's just super complicated in getting involved, like on a hands-on approach with survivors. Um, so that was one. Um, the other was, I don't really, I don't like, I can't hear about this. Like I, I can't deal with this right now. Right. Um, and I totally get that because we have, all of us have lives. And so that was one kind of hurdle that I was trying to figure out how to help overcome was with just Joe Blow or, or, you know, Susie Homemaker, like, how do you, how do they help in a way that is a, a tangible help? But, isn't going to consume their lives like it was consuming mine. Yeah. And, um, and, and the weightiness of it all too. It's not just like you said, you can just go help at the soup kitchen 
And well, then yeah, I mean, I feel like leave it behind. World world hunger is a great issue, and and it's heavy and dark in its own own right, but mm-hmm. not like this. It's yeah. not a, a violation. It's a hey, we need to send some food. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, the other issue that I was having was that um, transitions on paper as a as a nonprofit was not considered a quote Christian organization, and. Me growing up in church and Marlo um, started going to church and, and following Jesus when she was 15. Um, it was it was a like we had to have a conversation about it. Like, can we really like join forces with a group that's, quote, non-Christian? Right. Like, What's how do the we... gospel message? <laughs> right. And, um, you know, there was something funny that my my friend Athena had shared with me was like in Cambodia, even if you share the gospel with Cambodians, um and they quote become Christians, they are still going to be Christian Buddhist. Hmm. And I didn't know what she was saying until I got up over there. And I, I kind of compare it to like how, how you think everybody in the Northeast is Catholic, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, we're all Catholics, right? Yeah. I haven't been to mass in 15 years, but I'm, I'm Catholic. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and over in Cambodia. So you go back to the seventies where the Khmer Rouge came through and there was mass genocide. And all these Cambodians were forced to the edges of the country. You had a ton of people coming in that were Christian relief workers giving out rice, but it was, it was like, here's rice, but also you have to hear about this Jesus. Right. And so a lot of what I, it was my interpretation and I could be off base. I mean, I'm not an expert in all things Cambodian, but um, was that you kind of collect religions like insurance policies. Like, mm. yeah, I'll be Buddhist and Christian and Mormon and this and that just in case, you know, yeah. so that they all work, you know, <laughs> something will work. Right. right. So what my friends had had found out was that because they initially had started as a Christian, quote, you know, Christian organization and doing Bible studies with the girls and and all this stuff. But uh, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the whole idea of spiritual enlightenment uh, is like so far up the paradigm these girls weren't even on the bottom rung, yeah. right? Where where safety and and food and and knowing that this stuff was that they could just start taking safety and food for granted, yeah, and not being abused forty times a day, um, that they just decided like this is kind of the last thing that we need to be putting towards this, you know. Which for for Marlo and I, we were like we we kind of we made our peace with it in that. You know, there's plenty of uh, parts of the gospel that, I mean, Paul talks about some plant, some water, some reap the harvest, right? right. And so, re- like, do you ask your plumber if he's a Christian plumber? Well, I do because I'm really dedicated, <laughs> but not like some of you sinful people. Or a house painter. or I, I a, get them saved when they come over here. But. <laughs> or with your computer software right, job, do you exactly. call up and say, hey, I'm a Christian computer software guy, just want to let you know I'm a Christian. Right. No. You know, you, you don't. And so this is such a highly focused area of trauma therapy and rehabilitation that a lot of the individuals involved were Christians and were sharing the love of Jesus. And I, I was even thinking about this before coming over here about the, the parable of the, the sheep and the goats. And, and Jesus turns to the people and says, yeah. you guys are, are coming into the kingdom. And they they were just as surprised as the people who did everything mm, in Jesus' good. name, right? Yeah. And he says, when you gave a cup of water to the thirsty, mm. when you gave food to the hungry, when you visited the prisoner, Jesus never said, when you gave 
a cup of water and told them about the salvation yeah. Romans road to salvation and made sure they signed an affidavit of faith. Right. Which one of the groups that we worked with said, if the girl stays with us for 30 days and she signs an affidavit of faith, then we'll transfer to the long-term care oh facility. Gosh. Right. It's the great commission, not the great stipulation. Right. You know, exactly. as long as they, that's ridiculous. So when I was trying to go to different churches to get support for this, the first question was, is this a Christian organization? Mm. I couldn't get past the door. Right. And I would have, you know, conversations and even debates with really good friends. And, um, but one of those was in Oregon and, um, I was telling him about this thing that I just read where girls were actually being held in actual cages, like literal cages in the ground in India to, to just wait until the next John showed up, you know, sorry. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, yeah. It's, my name is Jonathan. It's yeah. not offensive to me. <laughs> Until the next client showed up. Um, and he said to me, because I was trying to have this debate about, like, we're really focusing on a specific thing here. And, um, you know, different parts. Of, I mean, the, the word talks about different parts of the body, do different things. Our thing right now is just getting them to safety right. and getting them to where they can actually focus on living life. And he said to me, well, I would argue that um, that girl is no better off being out of the cage than if she comes out of the cage but doesn't know about Jesus. And I I literally, and I'm, you know me, like I, I hate to offend people and I don't like to, you know, intrude on people. I just stood up and I said, well, we're done. And, I, yeah. and it was a group of men at the, the table. I just walked out of the diner. Really? I couldn't, I mean, what? Do, I don't. How do you, yeah, how do you combat that? Like Yeah, so... um yeah, so I think there were a couple of things. I, I got kind of tired of banging my head against the wall, um, trying to convince everybody to care about this issue that I cared so deeply about. Yeah, I have three daughters of my own, and I really felt like, you know what, if I'm going to eliminate the entitlement of men and raise the status of women, maybe I should just start here. You know, Mother Teresa said, if you want to go change the world, start go home and love your family. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, oh, wait, uh, I was confusing Mother Teresa with Brian McKnight. Start back at one. <laughs> Happens quite frequently. And there's the humor. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I just decided, you know what? My friends are such good friends of mine, James and Athena, that they aren't going to think any less of me for saying, hey, I, I kind of need to throw the towel in for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, they're going to probably think more of me because I'm, I'm re- directing my focus on my, on my daughters. And that happened to, to come at a really good time. And so I don't know if I'm going to ever like get back into it full time or if it'll be something that I help assist people with yeah. or, or whatever. But, um, I've to get ready for this podcast, I've been reading up on stuff and it still looks like we're pretty much kind of in the same state as we were six years ago when I kind of yeah. hung it up. Yeah. But what you've described and, and just so everyone knows, Seth is not just, done nothing now and you know it's not like well i gave up the ministry and now i just i I own a billiards hall you know it's really (laughs) struggling this year uh (laughs) but uh what you described though is is so similar to i think so many people that that have a i don't even know if it's calling sometimes but they have a heart that's for something and they get stirred up maybe you watch a movie that's about you know some kind of need and you get really into it and then you might even feel called by God for this stuff, and then you you try to share this with other people, and they don't share your passion, 
And it's hard not to take that personal yeah. because it's so important to you. And you're like, how do you not see this? How do you not get this? Um, and so you, you end up just kind of maybe even burning out. Um, what's changed with your perspective with that? We were talking about this a little bit um, before we talked, Seth and I talked a lot about this actually before this uh, full disclosure. But um, one of the things we've discussed was that, you know, different people have different callings. Actually, one of the verses I had pulled up, I, I want to read. It's from uh, Romans tw- 12, and uh, Paul says here, uh, for just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Uh, and I just kind of want to pause there. And so with that in mind, wh- what's your perspective now? Well, I well, think- If you could go back and talk to yourself, what would you tell yourself? Well, I think I started coming out of as as I kind of saw that the the end was kind of coming to a close for me. Mm-hmm. The last couple of um, speaking engagements that I had, I actually did encourage people towards the end. I, I said, "Look, all tonight might be is informational for you, and educational, um, but I challenge you to find something and right. go after it." Right. You know, and I have this tattoo that says "Seek Justice," and it's from Isaiah one seventeen, and I got it kind of as a a monument to my work with anti-trafficking, but rather than, you know, free the slaves or something along that line, I got it because the, the prophet Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel and, and he's saying, seek justice. And, and at the beginning, as you read it, you think, Oh, he's talking to Israel because all these poor people need justice. Right. Mm -hmm. But as you continue to read, what you realize is he's saying, no, 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 seek justice because when you do, there will be a transformation in your heart and in your life that, that you never expected. Mm -hmm. And it'll just, it'll make you a better human being Mm -hmm. and it'll transform you into something that you didn't know you could become. Right. And so Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. Right. So I think on this side of heaven, we're always going to have some sort of issue to plug into. Um, and so I, I encourage people, um, the other thing that I think, um, there's a guy that's a, a friend of ours, Mike Berry, that I had listened to a message that he had done one time and, and he was talking about loving God and loving people. And I, I, for me, when Jesus says love God and love people, and then everything else about Christianity hangs on those two things, mm-hmm. I take that really to heart. And that's why, like, I appreciate you saying what you said about us helping everybody. Like, but that's like, literally, that's our, our ethos is love God, love people. Um, and for me, I got so deep into helping people that I forgot, forgot about loving God. Mm. And it was interesting because the way Mike shared the message, he actually started with the loving people first on whatever he was talking about. And I don't remember everything that he said in that particular message, but I remember walking away from it, just weeping and realizing I actually have put loving people ahead of my faith and loving God. And, and I've got to, I've got to kind of flip that mm-hmm. on its head, you know? And, and so in loving God, if you truly, my, my buddy James says, you do what you believe. You can tell me what you believe all day long, but if you're not doing mm-hmm. something about it, yeah. if you're not walking that out, you don't really believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your buddy, James, the guy who wrote the book of James when he said no. faith without works is dead. My buddy, James is the guy that heads up transitions. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, he, he's quoting James. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. 
So, yeah, I mean, so... Um, uh, I forgot what the question was. I ruined your flow with a little joke because I can't not throw <laughs> my little one-liners in there. Um, well, you're I think it was about getting people. people involved. And, yeah. And well, we were talking about the many members might have a different call. Yes. Um, but yeah. I, I kind of want to zero in because one of the things you said earlier that I loved was the uh, reference to, you know, when, Lord, when did we see you and we did all these things? You know, people can unknowingly be working in the kingdom of God um, and so what does it look like for different people who love or have different ministries? What would you tell them, you know, as, or what would you tell yourself? I, I still well, I think, in that. I think for me, kind of the journey that I'm on currently is we tried to move to Cambodia. We actually helped set up, um, the only, uh, CrossFit gym in Cambodia that's still running. They're mm-hmm. doing fantastic CrossFit Amatak. If any of you are listening, I love you guys. Um, if anybody in Cambodia is listening, please write me a letter because <laughs> didn't know we had any viewers. Yeah, <laughs> any listeners, listeners in yeah. Cambodia? Yeah. Um, and we were we were going to move there, and that uh, just didn't work out. We were going to move to Costa Rica, that didn't work out. Um, I was actually going to move to outside of Washington. I don't think you know this. I was going to move to Washington D.C. Really? And work with an anti-trafficking group that worked with um, people from Ghana. And so I was going to fly back and forth. Wow. So we were figuring out how to do that and be really poor at the same time. <laughs> um, well, one leads the way to the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I think for for me, like all of these ideas of what, quote, ministry is, um, have just kind of been put to the wayside, right? And uh, our... My my buddy Derek is a pastor, and he likes to use the phrase "living open-handedly," mm-hmm. and I love that. Like, um, because you just you don't know day to day what will come into your into your world where you can help out. Yeah, you can make a difference. Sometimes that's reading the Romans Road of Salvation to somebody, you know, and like getting that youth group notch in your belt that you got somebody <laughs> right. converted, you know, right. to the kingdom. Sometimes, a couple months ago, I, a guy comes up asking for money. I said, dude, I don't have any cash. I just have my, my debit card, you know. Again, this isn't to pat myself on the back. It's just what I did. Um, and he goes, uh, I said, can I go get you some food or something? No. Uh, actually, man, I just, I'm trying to get a beer. And I said, oh, okay. Well, let me go get you a beer. I know this guy is an addict, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's clear he's an alcoholic. He probably doesn't quote need another beer, right? What he does need is somebody to meet him in that moment yeah. and just to love him and give a crap about him, right? Yeah. So I went and got him a beer. And then I went out and I got his name and I talked to him for a minute. And then I prayed with him. And I actually prayed that the Lord would bless him as he goes and drinks his beer and that he remind him of his goodness mm-hmm. and that somebody cared enough about him to go get him a beer, yeah. right? Now, years ago, I would have thought I'm probably going to go to hell for that, you know, (laughs) but my idea of what quote ministry looks like is a completely, completely different thing. So you're telling me that ministry can take place without people signing affidavits of faith. Yeah. Faith. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, what's, what's a real tangible way that, um, you would say, okay, so I, I guess I want to bring this around to our toxic political world, everybody on Facebook and everybody. Uh Oh, 
outrage. Who are you voting for? No. <laughs> but it's... Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> a real student of the church. Um, every I, I just see a lot of outrage. You know, it's like every, if you're... One of the things you hear a lot, and I probably shouldn't say this without... Eh, whatever. Not is uh, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Right. And I think there's an element of truth to that because we, if your life is pretty easy, you can wall yourself up and be like, well, I'm doing fine. These problems don't exist. That's wrong. But also to kind of give sympathy to some people right now, especially this year, are just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Like they're home with their kids all day, every day. A lot of people have lost their jobs, lost money. They care. Um, they just might not care about your thing. And I remember I was years ago, I had just like left my little church bubble and I was going out to bars with some friends and, uh, that I worked with. And it, for me, it was like a new kind of ministry. I don't know if it was <laughs> one that's good. <laughs> they're going to have a major in a Bible college, but it was just something new. I'm like really out with God's people, um, in a different kind of way. You know, like, and, and so it was really just impactful to me. And also I'd like never been invited to a party before. <laughs> so I was like, that's cool. Um, but I had a friend that had, was doing some ministry for something, selling shirts or something. And they got, they asked me to donate money. I was like, ah, I don't really, I was working at the valet right now at the time. I was making like nothing. Um, and I was like, Oh, and I, I think I was going to buy a shirt, but I said something like probably trying to make a joke. And they were like, well, I bet you spend more money at, uh, on beer a week than you do on, you know, whatever. What they didn't know at the time is that I was going on Monday nights to the prison ministry. I was like serving at my church, you know, stuff like that. And I've never forgot that. I was just thinking, like, you don't know what I'm doing at all outside of this. So all that to say, what I how do we not become self-righteous when people don't care about our thing that we care so passionately about? Um, but what is also a good way to give people a kick in the pants at times? Because I think you need both. Some people, I think Mark Batterson or other people have said, like, I want to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Mm-hmm. Now that you've been on both sides of this, you know what's your approach to people, um, in, in, in that in that regard. Well, I think so. The question I have to the people that say, if you're not outraged, you don't care, whatever it is, is uh, how sustainable is outrage? Mm. So it it's for me it's the equivalent of these anti-trafficking groups that are super sensational, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a guy on the website holding this little child that he just rescued and Liam Neeson looking, you know, yeah, it's, that's not sustainable. Right. And, um, I feel like, like even with our political outrage and stuff, right. Um, for me, I have withdrawn from the social media stuff and focused on my actual interaction with people Hmm. face to face stuff. Right. So, we live in the in the southeast, um, northeast Florida, southeast Georgia, um, and so we have a really mixed population, right? So I don't, I'm not quote. I mean, with all of the stuff that's going on, like with Black Lives Matters and stuff, Black Lives do matter absolutely to me, um, and they matter when I hold the door open for a black lady, you know, mm-hmm. or when I say yes sir to a, a older black gentleman. Because I know he's probably got stories oh, that would gosh, make me yeah. weep, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I can't convince them in that moment that I'm some sort of activist and that I actually care, you know. But I can I can do with what's in front of me today, right? Yeah. And I would say to people, don't be afraid to get dirty. 
um, there's one night in Cambodia that we, we, so we would take folks on what was called the night tour and we would take people to kind of these places that you could tell there was brothels going on and, and there was stuff that was, that was happening. And, um, I remember we went to, we went to one place in particular first and that was kind of where all the girls that had aged out and were washed up which I felt like gosh that's even worse than like the term throwaway children like you're not even good enough to be sold anymore you know um and it was just me and my buddy and one other guy and we went in had a beer like something that I never as a as a growing up as a good church Christian youth group kid never would have done any of this stuff right (laughs) right and um in the back of my mind, there was a, a message that I'd heard about Paul saying Christ is in all things, and that the um, like we as Americans we think that Christ is this weighty thing that we have to take to the nations, right? Yeah. When in fact Christ is already there. Mm-hmm. Like we just got to show up and help wherever yeah. we can help at, right? And we went to another place where you had to buy yourself a drink, but you also had to buy the girl a drink, um, and you had to keep buying drinks. Otherwise, somebody from behind the scenes that was watching was going to kick you out. So you either had to keep buying drinks or go ahead and buy that girl for the night. Right. Mm. And so and we kind of knew that. And so we weren't going to stay in there too, too long. Um, But it just. uh, I'm talking to this girl that I asked her, like, how long have you been here? And it was like two weeks. Right. And she's sizing me up because she thinks she knows what's about to happen. Right. Yeah. Man, it is just wrecking me. I mean, breaking my heart. And I decided, you know what? Uh-uh. We're, we're not going to do this. So went over, turned on the jukebox, uh, grabbed some cigarettes, which I've quit since then. But in that moment, I needed a cigarette because I'm <laughs> like, this is the darkest of the dark, you know? Right. And uh, and I started dancing. And we started, like, having a dance party, you know? And uh, I just thought, you know what? If all I can do is offer an hour of time where these girls don't have to worry about what's next yeah then that's what i'm gonna do you know yeah and um we left and i didn't say a word from there back to the hotel and then that night i literally you know people say they cried themselves to sleep i actually cried myself to sleep Mm -hmm. because i was thinking if if the gospel says christ is in all things where were you in that you know yeah and um and i woke up the next morning just feeling like I was there because you were there. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded of the passages where Jesus is called a drunkard and he hangs out with the prostitutes and right. he went to all the dirty places, you know, now I'm not condoning, you know, some guys that are like, yep, I'm going to go do ministry at the strip club and help out and da 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 And then their lives just go downhill. Right. Yeah. But don't be afraid to get dirty when it's time to get dirty yeah. because outside of the first place that we were at, there were, a group of four or five people that you could clear matching t-shirts. They had their clipboards out. They were taking notes from somebody that was giving them the guided tour, yeah. you know, and you could, you could clearly tell those are church people mm-hmm. and they're just looking at how dirt, dark and dirty everything is, you know, yeah. don't, we're all people. We all have our own stuff that we're going through and that we're dealing with. And so the weightiness of this issue is super dark and hard to, to wrap your head around, but find a group that you can at least send a couple of bucks to a month, you mm-hmm. know, uh, we'll put some up on, on your podcast, um, read up on it, know th- about things, but don't let it 
consume you. Yeah. And if this isn't your thing, like I said, find a thing. Like there's plenty of right. issues to get involved in. Yeah. And I would say from from my experience, uh, my daughter is a vegan right now, right? Hardcore vegan. And I fully support her. I'm not a vegan. Um, and we've had plenty of conversations about that. But what I've also tried to instill in her is learn from my mistakes, which is going in outraged. Yeah. You're not going to get a lot of people to your side if all you're do if all you're if all you're doing is showing passion and outrage. Right. That's good, but it's very limited. Well, I loved your point about is this sustainable right. and it's and it's not um it's the fight or flight syndrome, you know, like right. when if you're walking in the woods and a wolf runs up on you, your adrenaline's going to kick in and you might be able to do something you weren't able to do before or you know, if you're really hyped at a in a basketball game or something but you cannot stay in full-fledged adrenaline mode forever. You know what happens is when people are on cocaine and then they crash. Right. Like that's yeah. essentially what you're doing. So if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Like, yeah, you should something, and you should go. This is awful. But to your point, and to the point of the ministries we talked about, it's got to be something that okay. How do we sustain this? What's the best practice? And I think everything you said was spot on uh, with just living in the moment. And I remember we had a actually a, a talk at my church years ago in Gainesville and I just left the service just like, God, we got to do something, you know? And, and I just remember being stirred up and I just remember thinking like, you know, this is a Holy Spirit's job to move us to different needs. And I kind of have this theory that if everybody would listen to the Holy Spirit, most all of the needs of the world would be taken care of. I think God's yeah. like, to your point, where's God? Well, he's where we are. It's he's where, you know? And so just kind of like trying to get people like, you know, if black lives matter, like this is the only organization that we could possibly make a difference through as just, I think that's just incorrect. And that's just the, the one we've used tonight, but, but no one church is where everyone needs to go. We need multiple, we be in many form one body. And so just kind of being open to that idea that like God is moving. If we are moving in him, I think. And, um, does that seem, sound like what your point was? Yeah. <laughs> Did I, I detract so. from it? No, I think so. I mean, I think even, even the BLM thing and we have heard currently in the news, all, all of the issues of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so we all get outraged about it. Right. Nobody takes the time to research BLM. I haven't. I've heard, you yeah. know, right wing, whatever. And I've heard left wing stuff. Yeah. And I don't care, honestly, because I'm not going to support them because I'm, I'm going to support the African-American friends that are in my life. And yeah. I'm going to meet them where they're at. Yeah. And with human trafficking stuff, it, so if, the BLM thing is your thing. Great. Dig into it. Right. If there's an AIDS charity, that's your thing. Dig into it. Right. Cancer, uh, Parkinson's, like there's all of these horrible things that need help, you know, Absolutely. world food hunger. There's still people that don't have access to clean drinking water on right. our planet. Like that shouldn't be, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think rather than getting outraged, figure out, yeah, is there a specific thing that I'm my heart that makes my heart come alive? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's hurt. a great point because if if you try to assume someone else's passion, you're not going to last either. It's it's not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, I, I John Eldridge uh, quoted somebody else. You know, he's a really smart guy, but um, that said the glory of God is um, most. How does he say it? The glory of God is is like most known or most prevalent when man's heart is fully alive. Hmm. And I, I think there's a lot of times that we, we don't even dare think about 
getting involved in anything because we just got we have the electricity bill to pay we have the yeah. house payment we've got this we got that we got to take care of this da, 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 da. Yeah. well in some aspects maybe that is where in this current season you need to put all your energy right. raise your family and yeah. raise them well mm-hmm. you know and and teach them how to love other love god and love others you right. know um in other seasons it's going to be plugging into something else but in the meantime the holy spirit's there but i don't i don't think that you have to have there's an atheist uh com- comedian that has this whole like uh bit about you don't need jesus to not be an a-hole you know <laughs> like and it, and it, i get where he's going with that like yeah. if you see like and in James, the book of James, it says, "Do the good you know to do. If you don't, that actually that's sin. Mm-hmm. So if there's something in front of you, good to do, do it. Do you it. know, um, part of that is is this issue of anti trafficking, and and if your heart starts getting alive around it, or there's a march that you can go to, or some video that you can share, mm-hmm. or even go to some of these websites and share these websites with your friends, because you know, you might share it with a hundred people and one of them, this is their thing. Yeah. And you sharing that thing might, might be the one, you know, 10 years from now. Hey, Sally, do you remember when you shared that? Yeah. That's when my eyes open. Absolutely. I think you you have a great point about just getting out of uh, our bubbles, getting in just even somebody coming up to you on the street, just being open to be, being inconvenienced and seeing what God does. It reminds me of, um, also the, um, uh, chariots of fire where the guy's like, I, God made me fast and I feel God's glory when I run, you yeah. know? And it's kind of like, I think we have to do something, but it's, you see this issue a lot in modern churches too. Is like, uh, I don't sing or preach or whatever. I, I can't really do anything, but like, there's so much more there. And we, we try to mold ourselves into what we think God wants us to be. Like, I'm not a missionary. I'm not really, I'm not really in the ministry, but to your point, ministries all around us. It's just um, living. I think with, open-handedly yeah and uh see what god's gonna do well Seth, thanks for being on man um yeah, man. it's a pleasure having you uh, like Seth said we'll have those uh, ministries posted in the description of this episode and um follow your online seth seth johnson you're the only seth johnson i think in the world so they no. <laughs> seth johnson's seven eight seven eight yeah the year i was born nice it's a good year yeah was it a good year i don't know i mean i was born so i feel was like Jimmy it was Carter? a great year I have no idea.